0: Welcome to It's a Code World, your digital marketing podcast. This podcast will give you practical insights on how to better digitally market your business, be more organized, and get more customers.
1: Hey, how's it going? This is Tim Brown, and I'm very excited for an amazing episode of It's a Code World today. This is episode 25, and today I'm chatting with Joe Egan. Joe, you want to say hi?
0: Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Thank you, Tim
1: yeah absolutely so joe rose from apprentice to ownership at the egan companies and it's one of the largest construction companies in the nation his responsibilities included business development customer relations contract negotiation negotiation and conflict resolution currently joe is the president of egan connection incorporated a construction consulting coaching and training company and also the president of Egan Publications for the authorship and publication of his two books, The General Contractor, How to Be a Great Success or Failure, and Building Positive Character, 50 Tips on Empowerment, Overcoming, and Success. You also speak a little bit at the U of M. And uh, I want to just... Uh, talk to you a little bit first about your um, your experience. You, you are an avid motorcycler. Oh, you, uh, you got any good stories for me from uh, your time uh, on the motorcycle?
0: Well, I've been riding motorcycles for years. I'm also captain in the Minnesota Patriot Guard, which is a veteran support organization where we uh, go to the uh, funerals of veterans and also police officers. Oh, I have many rides, many stories through most of the country. I guess my most memorable one is because I'm still alive. Years ago, I was in the Beartooth Mountains up in Wyoming, up about 10,000 feet, riding a heavy motorcycle, very twisty road. And I was driving on a road that was beyond my capacity. And I come around a curve, a little too fast. As soon as I come around the curve, I see a sign that says curve 180 degrees. I'm at 10,000 feet, I'm going too fast. I thought, I'm going to die. I was convinced I was going to go right off that cliff. Plus, there was no guardrail. It was a sheer cliff of thousands of feet. But I figured, you know what, Tim? I'm going to die trying. And I hit the brakes. And then I hit the front brake, which says, I don't have any control now, on am steering. <laughs> <laughs> and I hit the brakes. And I went and I leaned on that bike so hard, I could hear engine parts being scraped. And I made it through. I don't know how, but I made it through. And I pulled over to the side of the road and every ounce of confidence and ability drained right out of me. And it was taken over by excitement and paranoia. But glad I'm here to talk about it.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) So that means you still love motorcycling after all that.
0: It's my passion.
1: I love it. Well, you know, today we're going to be talking about how to win contracts without having to be the low bidder. I think, you know, this is concentrated on the construction industry, but it's going to be useful for any small business, I think. And I think any business at all, really. I mean, we all get trapped into this, this experience where we're sitting there we're up against a couple other people on a contract and we we don't know we don't know exactly what they've done Um, and maybe the the customer has given you some indication that they're cheaper than you and so how low do you go Joe how low do you go
0: well, the things that I talk about and get paid for is not to try to teach a contractor how to be the low bidder. <laughs> they can do that all by themselves. Yeah. Being the low bidder. You don't need a marketing team. You don't need a brochure or website. All yeah. you need is that low bid. You probably don't even need a calling card. Okay. <laughs> so that's not what I teach.
1: So that's, that's lesson one, I guess. Uh, if you don't want to have to do any of this, just, just be the low bidder every time.
0: Yeah. You can be the low bidder, but I think it's more fun more difficult, but more fun, more rewarding, more profitable, profitable to do it the hard way.
1: So what are some tools that you use to get the most out of contracts? I always start with this little tool spot, but I'm interested in tools that you use to get the most out of contracts.
0: The tool that I refer to is a very, very big tool. It's a bridge. And I call it the relationship bridge. And if you take a look at a bridge, You are on one side as the contractor, your customer is on the other side. The reason for that bridge is to get the money out of your customer's bank and into your bank. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by doing two things. Number one, solve their problems. Number two, make them feel good. And if there's no bridge, there's no money transfer. No money transfer, no revenue. No revenue, no paycheck. No paycheck, no food at the home. Therefore, customer equals food on the table. Everything else is secondary. Now, the owners of both companies own that bridge and pay employees to be good stewards of that bridge, to do temporary maintenance and repair when we human beings do our simple mistakes, but, As employees, you are not authorized to blow it up. If the owners on each side of the bridge want to blow it up, they can, but you do not have authority to blow it up. And those bridges, as you know, they can take years to build and seconds to destroy by saying the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And guess what? Your competitors are sitting there with the replacement bridge. And what holds up that bridge? What is the brick and mortar? It's trust. Because on bid day, they're willing to trust your verbal commitment that you will do something very important to them. Think of it. They have purchased something that they can't even see or feel yet. And at that point they have decided to become vulnerable to you and you better not take advantage of those vulnerabilities.
1: Absolutely. So what are things that construction companies are doing wrong right now for writing contracts that lead to failure? But construction companies and our main focus here, also just small businesses in general.
0: There's two points of failure. The first one is what you can do in your failure to achieve the contract award. And the second one is how you can fail after you get that contract award in trying to gain that contract award. I think there's five major areas of failure. The first one and what I'm talking about most of this podcast here is not texting, emailing, phone calls. These are face to face presentations. Yeah. The first failure is the failure to make a good first impression. It's amazing, but psychologists agree that when you meet somebody, a prospective customer, let's say for the first time, within five seconds, they are going to make five observations about you. These observations could be good, bad, right, or wrong, but it's in the mind of the beholder. Those impressions, again, within the first five seconds, obviously your appearance, but also your level of trustworthiness, your level of aggression, that could be just by a handshake, your likability, that could be a smile or a frown and your level of competence all in the first five seconds. Therefore the saying, it's important to make that first impression. The second one, real easy, lack of eye contact. If you aren't looking somebody in the eye, they're probably going to assume you're not telling the truth. The third, this is a dangerous one. An evasive answer to important question. If you can't answer that question, tell them you don't know. Nobody knows everything, but tell them you don't know, but you do know who who to go to to get that answer and provide that answer. But do not be evasive. Four, not being able to listen and recognize the four things that all customers want, whether you're building a building, buying a car or buying a shoe, okay? All customers go into four different categories of what they want. The first thing they want to do is save something. They want to increase something. They want to reduce something or improve something. Examples would be saving. A customer says, I need to save time in designing construction. Okay, that's a buying signal. They're in a hurry, okay, listen to that. The second thing they want to do is increase something. Okay, what do they want to increase? Well, one customer may say, I need to increase the level of trust of who I'm going to work with. His last contractor betrayed him. He says, I need somebody of increased level of trust that won't take advantage of me. The third one, they want to reduce something, such as, you know what? I want to reduce my need to babysit this project. You handle the problems, not me. You're the expert. And the fourth one is improve. I want to improve the overall appearance and logistics of this thing. I'm going to spend some dough and I want it to look good and I want the logistics to be easy to navigate. And if you don't listen and respond to those four needs, you're out of the ballpark. The other one final is failure to establish expectations. And that is determining the difference between your customer's wants and needs. Needs, are the bare minimum of what they have to have. Their wants are the icing on the cake. In budgeting a project, give them what they need first and then see if they can afford what they want. A failure in executing the contract is not being able to manage those expectations of what they want and need. And the other one, is seeing problem solving as a burden rather than an opportunity to make yourselves look good. People complain, oh, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. Well, guess what? We're in the construction industry. There's always problems. There's always changes.
1: And I'd say that for our digital stuff too, there's always problems, right? There's with a website, with these different types of things, people think it's one and done. I'm sorry, the digital age, there's also all these problems and there's, there's all this maintenance. So there's always a problem and you're right, that's how we think of it is when there is a problem, it's an opportunity to showcase our ability to solve that problem. And in fact, I'll just say this on our side and I mean, this is, might be showing too many of our cards but it's also an opportunity potentially as an upsell. And I think that that's the case with construction as well. If there's a problem, there, there could be a, a big secondary sale right there ready. You know, you didn't know that you needed that and now you know you need that and that's something that you didn't think about or that wasn't planned, and now here's an opportunity for us to sell that to you. And that's okay. Yeah.
0: If you think you're not gonna have problems, I'm sorry, but you're a fool. Yeah. Okay. And you're right about the ability to upsell, and especially now with many websites having customer reviews that you have no control over. Yeah. So if you don't solve problems and you whine and you finger point, that review could be from your customer, well, you know we had problems, yeah. and this contractor just whined back at us and offered no solutions, and we wouldn't recommend recommend him. Yeah. On the other hand, yeah, we had problems, but this contractor stepped up. Not only did he solve the problems, he oversolved the problems. Yes, yeah. and also like in that
1: situation, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you did something terribly wrong as a uh, as a construction company or as an individual of any small business, it doesn't necessarily mean that you botched it or you did something terrible. It just, it generally means that they didn't understand the process, that particular process, the build process or whatever. They didn't understand that process. And now there's an an opportunity to educate and to allow them to improve. But... um you know, it, it could also mean that there's there was a expectation issue that you could make a note to yourself to improve on expect, like how you communicate expectations next time as well.
0: And manage them, at, establish them and manage them.
1: At the right times too, yes, exactly.
0: And that's getting back to what we talked about before. Satisfy their wants and needs and tell yeah. them what they're going to get. So you don't get later on, well, I thought this or I thought that. Okay, so there's a mismatch in expectations. Also, when problems arise, don't get personal about it. View problem solving again, as not a negative, but again, to separate yourself from the competition and present the solutions of problems with not one solution, okay? Give them two, three, or four. Because solving your customer's problem is your best sales plan because that's gonna decide whether you get invited or rejected to the next bid.
1: So when you're talking through a contract, what makes the difference?
0: Two things. Listening, and again, we're talking face-to-face, positive body language. There's this old story, you may have heard it, but the story is a salesperson went in and had a 20-minute presentation in front of a prospective customer and in that entire 20 minutes, the salesperson didn't say a word and the customer said everything. And after 15 or 20 minutes, that customer stood up and shook that salesperson's hand and says, congratulations, you have the job. He said, well, that's great, sir. But what did I do to deserve it? And the customer says, well, I don't know, but this is the best conversation I've ever had. Yes. So the single element that separates great salespeople from poor salespeople is the ability to listen. And the second is body language. Let's go back, Tim, about 25 million years ago, okay? And that's when crocodiles ruined the earth. And let's go update to about 60 million, 65 million years ago, and dinosaurs became extinct. Then depending on what you believe or have been taught, there's an, a con, there is a consensus that about seven million years ago was the start of human beings. Three million years ago, we learned how to make tools. We took a sharp rock and pounded against a bigger, softer rock and made a cave. Only 1 million years ago did we learn how to start a fire. 200,000 short years ago is when we started talking to each other. We've been around for 7 million years and only 200,000 years ago, did we start talking to each other. Prior to that, it was body language. It, there's a consensus that 90 percent of the communication is nonverbal. About 10 percent is your spoken word. 30 percent is your voice, your pitch, your tone, your speed, your volume. And 60 percent of it is body language. And what you have to do, it's a two-fold exercise. You have to manage your body language so that it is positive, but you also have to learn and observe the body language of your customer so you know when to keep talking and when you know to shut up. Absolutely. Um, What is the tipping
1: point on positive elements that tip people over the edge to work with you? So you've talked about trust, you've talked about having positive body language. What really tips people over the edge though when it comes to contracts? What if they're sitting with a contract where uh, you've got the million-point-five contract and the competitor has the million-point-two contract? Why would they go with you versus that
0: 1.2? Great question, and there's two points to it. One is your ability to persuade, and the other one is knowing what type of buyer you are talking to. And there's two types of buyers. There's a logical buyer and the emotional buyer. Back to the first point, the ability to persuade. Let's go back in history again. 2,500 years ago, Aristotle wrote a book simply called How to Persuade. And it's been the basis of most studies in education about persuasion ever since. And it comes down to three categories that Aristotle developed. The Greek word for ethos, the Greek word for pathos, the greek word for logos so going back to the first one ethos which translates to us as ethics and that's your credibility credibility in you and your company you have to establish credibility first are you worth listening to are you just some no person off the streets that doesn't know what they're talking about after you have established credibility then you go to the second step established by aristotle which is pathos, we translate that to passion, which is translated to emotion. In other words, are you willing to have a successful project? Most, excuse me, not most, but many contractors are not willing to. They're gonna come in and they're gonna nickel and dime and gouge and cheat on the specs and quality and get out of there, okay? And if you can't pass that pathos, passion, willingness to have a successful project, you don't get to the third stage. And the third stage is what Aristotle called logos, which we translate to logic, which is facts. And that's beyond your willingness to have a successful project, it's your ability. Okay. And we in the construction industry are really comfortable with that third final stage because we like to talk facts, square footage, s- schedules, specifications, weights, all these things that we can touch and measure. Where most presentations fail is that the presenter skips skips one and two and jumps to three. When you jump to three, you are then attracting only the logical buyer, who I'll get into the second step, which is the low bid. Which again, that's not why you have me here today. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, really quick, before you keep on going on, on that third point, so we don't wanna skip one and two now that we know that Logos, those people only, the people that are only obsessed with logic and facts and figures and square footage, et cetera, et cetera, we don't wanna skip to that. How do we insert a little bit more ethics, credibility, passion, and emotion into the discussion when we're we're showing them the contract? How do we insert a little bit more of that into that discussion so that we aren't just sitting there rattling off square footage facts, etc.?
0: Exactly. Good question. How you get to sell those first two steps is realize your audience may be more than one or two buyers. So let's say there's two. Again, you have a logical buyer in the room, which could be an engineer or an architect. And then you have the emotional buyer, which could be the unsophisticated owner of that construction project. A logical buyer says two plus two equals four and two plus three equals five. Four is less than five. Your bid is higher than the other one. And logic tells me because I have no other reason because you haven't established credibility to me or your willingness to have a good job. I'm going to go a little bitter. Okay. Now the emotional buyer through emotion and I'll get into what emotions have to be uh, projected says, I know that five is more than four, but I also know they're pretty close. Okay. And something inside me, my gut feel, my sixth sense, Tells me we'll be better off paying that premium, 10, 15%, whatever. So you know what? I can sleep better at night and I don't have to take aspirin during the day. That's worth it. A lot of comments that I and I ask customers, I interview them, why did you accept a bid other than the low bid? And again, that's it's emotion you know, they, they can't say it's because they had more square footage or they were lower and things like that. All those touchable things. Here's some quote unquote from customers. I really don't know why, but I felt more comfortable with them. They were honest in answering the tough questions about the schedule, even though they knew we would not like that answer. Another one said, I felt we could trust them most to look out for us. They know how to listen and gave us great advice very professional and knowledgeable. Here's another one, final one. They dug into the job more than others. They acted like they really wanted it and they showed it. The whole team was on the same boat. if you notice here, I never mentioned price. And they didn't either. I will say, even when somebody asks,
1: does ask about price and says somebody else was Cheaper than you, I think that the question that that's going on in their mind, which is, it tends to be why, why is your project, why is this going to be more expensive with you? It's a better question, I think, to be to be fielding, because that if you have it down, if you know why you have a specialization and what makes your company better than competitors, those are great questions to be answering. If people are asking that, especially if you have clear cut answers and it does, it is worth it to have those answers ready.
0: Oh yeah. If you can't answer it, uh, you're, you're in tough shape. Typical answers would be, as you know, a month ago, we talked about your wants and your needs. Okay. I don't know why people say wants and needs it should be the other way around. We talked about your needs, what you have to have, Then we also talked about your wants. Remember, we called those the icing on the cake? Well, guess what? Our bid includes that icing on your cake because we listen to you. Another reason why our bid is probably higher, and it should be, because we've been in this business for decades and we know that no matter what specs, drawings, how tight we think it is, there are always changes, always. And we anticipated those changes. And typically changes that we've known, normally you take your base bid price and add a five or 10% contingency for those things. And we've already got that included in our bid. And guess what? If we don't spend it, we don't invoice you. So I know that you've had a lot of experience
1: finding uh, and bidding on people coming to you talking about commercial construction. And I, I know that you had kind of an experience and you know b 2 c or home building and things like that so the, my questions are along the lines of how did you start finding these commercial construction where did you get these leads what did you do to get to put yourself in the position to be able to get more of those commercial construction projects
0: as i said at the beginning this is about face-to-face interaction and again it's about getting contracts at the right price not the low price You cannot do that through electronic communication. You gotta, you gotta get out of the office. I recall a friend of mine who's a business development manager for a large general contractor. And his boss came up to him one day and says, I need a marketing plan. He says, well, I already have a marketing plan. He said, well, where is it? He said, it's that little uh, notepad uh, on the wall there. It's three pages long. And the first page says, marketing plan. And the second page of two, says, get out of the office and meet with your customers. Okay, (laughs) so it is, we know that electronic communication is more efficient, time-wise. But we also have to recognize that it is not as effective. You cannot have an emotional relationship with your customer without going face to face.
1: I'm gonna just contradict you a little bit there. That's why I love video. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes down to it, you know, we feel like people can familiarize themselves with your face and with your uh, your value that you share more when you do it through video. So we're always encouraging our clients to showcase their personality a little bit, for instance, on their social media pages and stuff like that to get some of that feel of uh, face-to-face communication. I'm still very convinced that in-person is the absolute most effective way. So you gotta get out to events, you gotta get out network, you gotta get out to round tables or whatever you possibly can get to. Extremely important. But I do think that there's ways to kind of uh, familiarize yourself with your customer and get them familiar with you through some of these ways. Video to me is one of the best. I'm, I'm contradicting, contradicting you a little bit, but I also agree with you all very much so that in-person is the absolute, hands-down, most effective way.
0: And I agree with you as well, but there are limits to it. Yeah. Let's go back to a presentation on the face-to-face. Yes, bringing in a video of uh, what this project might look like from beginning to end and nice visuals and things like that. And as long as we're talking in that level... Yes, visuals are good, but when you get to the level of the emotional part, what you say is much more important than what they see. So be very careful about it. Also, I've seen too many presenters have sole reliance on what the customer is going to see versus say, and all of a sudden they get there and guess what? The extension cord isn't long enough. Or the light bulb went out on the projector.
1: Oh, yeah. Or
0: your um, uh, connection uh, broke. And all of a sudden, I mean, they are left bare with nothing to say. So you always have a backup plan. Even Assume that your technical audio will fail.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this. is like when we do sales presentations, I actually don't. The funny thing is we're in marketing and very visual and I love websites and all that. But when we get to a sales presentation, I don't actually even, I don't do a PowerPoint. I don't do anything like that. I just have the face-to-face, human-to-human, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. And yeah, I'm very much on that front. So I think uh, I think we're together on that one. So I, I really appreciate this conversation today. I think this will be super useful to people. Um, I appreciate you taking time to come out here and chat with me. And I'm sure that people will find it extremely useful. And I just want to give them a chance to to find you online. So if you want to share your website.
0: Sure. Thank you. It's www.joeegan.com. J-O-E-E-G-A-N. You can also find me at joetalk.net.
1: And... What would you like to, uh, I know that you have a couple of books. What's one of the books that contractors should go read now if they uh, haven't yet?
0: Well, they should run out now. Yes. And get it. <laughs> uh, the General Contractor, How to Be a Great Success or Failure. It's based on my decades of experience of attaining great success and making millions of dollars. And also great failures in losing millions of dollars.
1: Absolutely. So I, I really appreciate you guys joining us. This is Tim Brown. You can check us out at hookagency.com on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at hookagency. This has been how to win contracts without having to be the low bidder. So important. And join us next time for the next episode of It's a Code World. Thanks.
0: join us next time for it's a code world bringing you experts in digital marketing and helping small to mid-sized businesses be more professional it means the world to us if you could take a minute to rate our podcast on itunes at hookagency.com slash itunes